The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When Jesus took these three disciples up on that mountain, he showed them a most remarkable glimpse of his transcendent nature. Like all of us, the disciples' lives would have consisted almost entirely of material wants and needs. They worked. They ate, they got sick, they negotiated with customers, they paid taxes, they slept. Joys and hopes beyond daily life would have been rare, even for a law-abiding Jew. For their leaders did not even agree about whether uh, or not there would be a resurrection. And the description of Sheol, the kind of dark... uh, Uh, underworld in the afterlife left a lot to be desired. Besides, most people in the ancient world had little time for transcendence. The vast majority would have lived hand to mouth, growing enough food for the day or making only enough money for the day. When you're just trying to get by, uh, who has the time for fancy thoughts about the afterlife or alternate dimensions? Yes, except for the Sabbath, when God's revelation was recalled and reheard, transcendence was a rare companion. There was this basic belief in God and maybe some hope for something more. But really, life was hard, and such thoughts were probably few and far between. So nothing could have prepared Peter and James and John for the sight of the transfigured Jesus. Not only was his countenance changed, an obvious throwback to Moses on that earlier mountain, but Moses and Elijah appeared as well. Here were two dead men and one living man conversing in full accordance in what must have seemed like some alternate dimension or parallel reality. 
And so what these disciples saw was pure, unadulterated glory. And no doubt what they saw was a world in which the people of God saw no more struggles. They saw peace and unity among God's people. Now, they can't be blamed. I know people give Peter a hard time, but they can't really be blamed for wanting more of it or thinking that the right thing to do is to try to bottle it up to make those three tabernacles, as the King James says, or tents, really, to try to stay there longer, maybe forever. For they experienced true transcendence, a vision of life beyond the bare material. And so at first they misunderstood, and they hoped that this temporary vision would become their ongoing reality. They did not realize that they would have to continue their material lives and still struggle, even as they had this newfound knowledge of transcendence. But eventually, for the disciples, those two realities would live in parallel formation, never quite touching so long as these bodies persist the material and the transcendent would still keep company on these strange journeys of our lives. Therefore, these disciples would go on to minister to hurting people. They would still work hard jobs. They would still suffer death and illness in this fallen world. And they did all of that after they had glimpsed what awaited them, transcendent glory, where peace and joy could finally be found. Well, the application should be obvious. We are also disciples of Jesus, and we find ourselves in both of these worlds, too. We also live in the material world. In fact, we are often consumed with material wants and needs, aren't we? Cars that don't work, houses to buy and keep up, jobs to perform, food to put on the table, perhaps some recreation so these tired bodies can catch up. And yet we know that there is a transcendent reality to these lives too, that there is something more, even if we only glimpse it from time to time or hear about it on Sunday morning. Maybe at a funeral we think about it more deeply or for longer, or if any of us have the particular spiritual gifts of discernment or prophecy, uh, perhaps you're on your way towards the transcendent heights of God. And we undoubtedly find ourselves more and more consumed with material concerns than we should be, and that's partly because it's the air that we breathe. Our world, especially in the last 200 years has become practically obsessed with materialism. Materialism is even a bona fide, trademarked, and copyrighted name of a worldview. The belief that only material things exist, that there's nothing supernatural about us or anything else in the world. This necessarily atheistic worldview of materialism It views everything in utilitarian terms. If it is of use, if it works, if it brings me some happiness, sure, 
we'll allow it to stay around for a while. But things or even people in and of themselves do not, cannot have intrinsic, inherent value. For in the end, we're all just matter. We're just material. There's nothing special about us. We're just highly evolved animals. Materialism is at the heart of Marxism, of communism, socialism, and even libertarianism. Achieving the equal distribution of stuff is literally the highest aim of Marxism. How utterly sad and pathetic. And of course, the Marxists never even got that right. History, of course, tells an even darker story how materialism became absolute poison to human flourishing. Hundreds of millions of souls were offered to sacrifice to the gods of materialism. And hundreds of millions more will also be offered unless we reclaim a transcendent worldview. For the lovers of transcendence, I hate to tell you, don't run the world or very few of them do anyway, maybe because they've now been born into this materialistic world and they've just breathed that as their air, as what they believe, the default view, kind of like people did with Christianity for so many centuries, or maybe in their open rebellion against God for their love of sin, they have looked for an alternative and materialism promised to be it. Either way, those who... Uh, our hardcore materialists are the ones who have their fingers on the nuclear codes. They design our clothing. They run marketing firms. They run our universities. They produce our movies and our video games. And they manage our pension plans. They say it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Well, that's very true if you're a materialist. But not if you're a Christian. For the Christian does not only live by a bare material reality. He or she also possesses visions of transcendence, visions captured on this mountain of transfiguration and at the empty tomb and at the ascension of our Lord. We used to believe it. Have you ever been to Europe and seen those cathedrals, the guy who laid the first stone would have died long before that cathedral was ever finished. That's a commitment to transcendence. And like our forebears, we reject materialism, and we are far different from the materialist. While equal distribution of stuff is their sad goal, we always hold the overwhelming and underlying assumption that even matter, even material, is God's, and humans are made in God's image. Even matter, then, is to be placed under man's dominion. We are to conquer it, to bring it to order, to be fruitful and multiply. It's not just matter, then. It's God's gift to us, and we have the sacred duty to steward it. Therefore, we must minister to the sad materialist. 
For while it may look like they hold all of the power, the materialist has actually tied himself to an anchor, and he is sinking fast. Worse, many materialists now believe that they can escape the futility of materialism with a technological solution. They believe that technology can now fill the gaps of his materialism, hoping that they can make up for lost deities. AI is going to become, in many ways already is, in the minds of some, not me, uh, godlike with its instant access to all of human information. There are already some Buddhist temples with a computer basically at the front uh, that can dispense all the best of human wisdom if you only ask it the right questions. And I've already complained in the past about the ridiculous hope that man can upload his conscience and live forever uh, on basically a supercomputer server. See, the problem with that is that God is not just the sum of all knowledge. God is personal. And recreating a material existence in a supercomputer is not transcendence. Dying and rising and being in Christ is transcendence. Truly knowing a life with a glorified body incapable of death and decay is transcendence. Leaving anxiety and depression behind is transcendence. Being perfectly loved by God is transcendence. And as the entirety of human knowledge is on the verge of being at our fingertips, after this godlike power is about to be ours, we need to be reminded now more than ever what transcendence actually is. It is leaving the weight of fallen materiality behind and being in the presence of God. That is what the disciples experienced on the mountain of transfiguration. And one day, we will know it too. The transfiguration then is a touchstone towards the fuller and truer nature of our realities. Realities that are not measured by how we spend our time and money, but where we will spend eternity. Amen.